Christian life is a series of battles. And here's the shocker. Everyone's involved. I can remember as a child, I thought that being a Christian would be like that picture in the front of the Bible that used to find the little blue one that was laying on the seat in the pediatrician's office. Remember that? The Bible they wanted you to buy? And it had the, the sheep sitting around Jesus, and the, everybody seemed so contented and happy, and that just was wonderful. But the truth is, there's a war that's raging, a spiritual war, and it's all around us. We are in a land where God is hated. Satan is in control. And whether you're saved or lost, rich or poor, you possess numerous seminary degrees, or you are completely uneducated. Everyone, everywhere is involved in this war. It's a spiritual war, meaning it's one that we cannot see with the physical eye. It's a supernatural war. Yes, Satan is defeated. He knows that. When Jesus rose from the dead, death and hell were defeated. But the reality is we're still in this world, and it's still broken, and it's still hurting. And because of that, this war rages on. Many of you here today have served in the military, and many of us have not. But those of you that have been in the military, consider for yourselves the reality that we're all soldiers. We stand somewhere in the position of this war. Last week we looked at the reality of the armament you wear, and we talked about putting on the whole armor of God. But the reality is, in this battle, we face it every day. There's no such thing as a non-combatant. There's no such thing as a sideline spectator. When we least suspect it, we find ourselves engrossed in that. The reality is, you can't be disinterested. If you consider yourself as such, then the enemy's won the war. But the battle goes on. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Remember, our battle is not with the things that, that we can lay our hands on. That would be nice. We could, we could resolve that. So what is the fight here that Paul is charging Timothy with? He's letting Timothy know the reality of what's going on in the world that is there. He said, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. By them, you fight the good fight. That means to be equipped for that fight. It means to be prepared. It means not to be caught and blindsided by it. The reality is, in this story... Paul warns Timothy about two people, apparently, that he had knowledge of, that were a part of the church, that were leaders there, two prominent men in the church at Ephesus, Hymenaeus and Alexander. No doubt they were Christians. But somehow they got sidetracked by the enemy. The evil one had led them aside and had deceived them. It may have been something as simple as a doctrine that got them away from the truth. It may have been something as complicated as causing them to believe that they were alone in a fight and turning them against their brothers and sisters that are there. But Satan has a way of working. 
And the reality is here. They had, they had taken in and propagated false teaching and had led people away. And as a result of this, the apostle had to hand them over to Satan. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of turning anyone over to Satan is a terrifying thought. And we're a little bit confused in understanding exactly what they're saying there. The best thought is that what happened was Paul said, I'm going to turn them out of the church. We're going to shun them, which was a practice then and has been practiced in churches for years. And we're going to turn them over to Satan for a time that they can figure out what the church is really for and understand how blessed they were to be in a congregation of love and a a gathering of people that cared. This purpose was to restore them. It was that they might be taught, that they, they might be disciplined. And this seems to indicate that they were, were Christians who'd just been led astray. And, and that can happen to all of us at any time. When Christians willfully persist in disobeying the Lord, there's a need for discipline. We don't all automatically do what we should do. My dad had a very brief encounter with boot camp because during World War II many men went through an abbreviated boot camp but the reality is the whole purpose of boot camp is for your tech sergeant or training sergeant literally to cause you that the moment you hear an order you take it that fast because it might save your life or the lives of those round about you and when we're undisciplined we may not hear the voice of the Lord we may not hear the Holy Spirit within guiding us to do something and we lose track of that no Christianity is not for us to simply make all the decisions ourselves we listen to the Holy Spirit and we're guided by him and we must be on track for that when Christians willfully persist in disobeying the Lord there's a need for discipline And sometimes this discipline can be severe. The situation here with these two men, we don't know a lot about them. Hymenaeus is mentioned with another man later on who was called a heretic. And somehow they had gotten off track. They'd gotten away from where they should be. And what I want you to understand is we're beginning this this series to talk about spiritual warfare. Sometimes the spiritual warfare is very personal. It's not an us against them, but sometimes it's us dealing with us. The battle is very close, and we struggle with that. So I want to think this morning about the lessons that we should learn from this story so we won't become shipwrecked, because that can happen. Most of us who walk with the Lord any length of time can name the names of people who got distracted who fell away from their calling. Something led them away. Some deceitful act of Satan crept into their life and influenced them in a negative. That's what I'm thinking about here. So I want to look at this for a few minutes and think about it. The first thing I want to think about is this. The danger of spiritual decline faces every single Christian. Satan knows who you are. He is firmly set facing you. He's not afraid of you. He's not terrified at all. And his goal is to absolutely unearth you from the safety that you have in your position with Christ Jesus. He wants to lead you astray, draw you away, 
puts you in an adversarial position, not against evil, but against good. He can be no more successful than when he creates disunity in the church, and that's something that he loves to do. We assume that these two men and others whom they had led astray were devout Christians, and we know there were others because in verse 19 it uses the word some, meaning there were others than just them. But I want you to think about the two things that, that happen in that. Number one, regular, they, they, they regularly attended church. They were so active, everybody knew them. He didn't have to explain who these people were. And secondly, they, they were witnesses to the grace of the Lord. They knew how the Lord worked. Gradually, they became slack. Their consciences became blunted, and, and, and they grew careless. They felt that they were the authority, not God, and that the church was blessed by their abilities. And they drifted into heresy, not understanding the, the close boundaries that we walk in as Christians. I've heard it said by Leonard Ravenhill that one of the diseases of the church is when we simply give people permission to do whatever they want and not hold them to that great standard of Scripture, the standard that holds all of us in sway to stay focused upon Him. When we consider the idea of spiritual warfare, we must understand that many times we're the ones, as I said the other day, that drift into traffic. We're the ones that lose track and don't pay attention and we're not focused on how we're driving our spiritual life forward with Him guiding us and, and we end up distracted and we get off track. That's an easy thing to do. It happens very often. The Apostle Paul had this in mind in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. But the reality is we get into false living. Living that gets far away from Him, living that, that, that we may open God's Word and we may have our devotional time, but, but it's just a, a, an, an act of penance for God. It's not a close relationship with Him. I was talking to someone the other day that's a, a part of another denomination, and we were in a conversation, and, and, and the question that they asked me was a good question. They said, what do you think is one of the great weaknesses in the Baptist church. And I said, well, let me think for a long time because there are many. But one of, the, one of the weaknesses we have in the church is we refer to prayer as being such a significant thing, and it is. But we end it there. Prayer is our talking to God, but we forget that, that what God says back to us is so important. And Many people want to tell God what they think and advise him and consult him and tell him what they want, but they, they're not willing to listen back to him. When God's, God will say things like, yeah, I hear you, but be patient. You're getting ahead of me. There's something to be done here that's very important. Christians have a hard time being patient. We want to name it and claim it and get it and walk on and go to the next thing, and it doesn't work that way. God has lessons for us to learn, and sometimes we won't be still and let him teach us those lessons. The second thing I want you to realize is this. The influence of one disobedient Christian can influence the whole church. And this is exactly what was happen, happening there in, in the body of Christ in Ephesus. Ephesus. 
I want you to notice two things about Hymenaeus and Alexander. They were not only false teachers in the church, but there were others that believed them, that held on to that. That's why it's important for us to, to read God's Word circumspectly. You know the illustration, you've heard it many times, that, that when you go to work in a bank, they don't train you on, on what bad money looks like counterfeit money at all they never do that they, they they don't you handle the real thing so much that the moment you touch a bill that's counterfeit the moment you look at it you know that it's counterfeit I often tell young folks if you want to learn to spell you must first read uh, you've got to the way you recognize how it works. In fact, if, if you try to study grammar and try to study all the rules in order to read correctly, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in big trouble. Harriet is a librarian for, for many years. You know that's true because there are no set rules. There are 10,000 rules in English grammar, and they change. The only way to recognize and spell correctly is simply to read with such a voracious appetite that the moment you see a word you know right away that's misspelled you may not know exactly how to spell it but you will learn that and it's the same way with God's Word if you handle God's Word and you read it with an open mind and heart and let the Holy Spirit speak to you when you hear somebody speak heterodox or heresy you immediately know that immediately When I came to First Baptist Church, the city of Selma was dealing with a heretic. He didn't come to Selma alone. He came with, with many families. He came saying he was going to help the city of Selma, but he didn't help the city of Selma. He used the city of Selma. He took some of the most lowly people and some of the most towering buildings and, and marked them as his own and said, this is where I'll be. A second week here, he comes knocking on First Baptist Church's door, office door across the street, and wanted to talk with me. Thankfully, some godly deacons in this church told me about him. James Hines was one of them, and I was prepared. And when he walked in the door and he began to tell me who he was and the group he represented, I said, oh, I know who you are, I'm familiar. He said, oh, you are? Tell me what you know. And I said, I know this, you're a heretic. I said, the first council of the church in the first century was dealing with the sin of Marcion, which is your sin. And he looked at me with the strangest look, and he said, you know, your church is wicked. I said, let me tell you, you know nothing about my church. So let's talk about you. And I told him, I said, Jesus did not become fully God when he was baptized by John the Baptist. He was fully God forever. And you are teaching heresy, and you brought it to this city. And I said, this city is hurting, and you won't help it. Well, I'll never forget, Jane, Jane Driggers was my secretary right outside my office, and she was shaking like this when he took off. And she said, I almost called 911. I thought y'all were fighting. And I said, there was a fight going on, a spiritual warfare. I said, I did not want that man in my office or on our property. And I don't want him back here again. And thankfully, he's gone. But the devastation he did in Selma and through several congregations is still lingering. 
Thank you, James, for warning me about that man. It was horrible. And heresy comes dressed in many forms, and and we have to be prepared for that. We have to understand that the church is under attack. We can't believe everybody that says they're a Christian that carries the Bible really walks with God. It's simply not true. That's why we must rightly divide the word of truth at all times. Thirdly, the seriousness and the damaging effect of false teaching in the church is widespread. A church that I attended as a young man is dealing with heresy right now in Atlanta and it breaks my heart. The idea that God can overlook sin and, 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 and some forms of sin God says is okay. It breaks my heart that, that, that they have acquiesced to that point simply because they want to financially survive in a world where they're competing with so many other Christian groups or so-called Christian groups that they'd go to that point. That's called blasphemy. To take that which Satan has done and give credit to God for that or say that God is doing something that Satan is doing is blasphemy. And that's what so often is happening. And that's what is said of what's happening here with Hymenaeus and Alexander. Paul calls it blasphemy in 1 Timothy. Why did he use such a strong word? You may say that, that's kind of dangerous speaking, but the false teaching is that way. It does not reflect the divine character of God when we move away and redesign what God says. In fact, Paul called it, in his words, that it was a deadly, disastrous gangrene in the body of Christ. I'll never forget J.B. Phillips transliterated that, and he literally said, it's like sepsis in a wound. It will kill you. It's dangerous. Fourthly, the connection between what we believe and how we behave is so important. Hymenaeus and Alexander shows that there's an inseparable connection between faith and morals. We have to be careful about that. You know, sometimes people compartmentalize their life and they'll say, well, you know, I can be out in the world and and this is me here and then I'm over in the church and I'm here and these are two different places, but that's simply not true. You're the same person. And as much as you try to wall off those two things, one will bleed over into the other and that one will bleed back. And it will impact who you are. And if your Christianity is not circumspective, if it's not running the same everywhere, it will affect you everywhere. Because people watch and they want to see what you're about. Paul uses the word here to Timothy. He said, have a good conscience when you deal with these things. In fact, he says, these men put away a good conscience. They had to set it aside to do what they did. It's not enough simply to say that you're a good person. You've got to be a good person wherever you go. And it's not that people are watching you, and that's important, but God is watching you. He's observing what you're doing. I worked for some years with the city of Oakwood. 
as a volunteer chaplain because the police chief and, and the chief detective were deacons in my church. I had to do death calls, which is where you go and inform a family that someone has died some way. I had to go and talk with people. I had to, one man attempted suicide by flying down a street in a truck, and he was going to fly into a train. There's a huge freight train that would come through town every morning at 2.15, leaving Gainesville, Georgia, mostly with poultry products, heading south. And this man decided he was going to end his life, and he hit the train right on one of the, the, the wheels. And you know what he did? He caused the biggest derailment I've ever seen. Twenty-six cars came off, some of them with chemicals. And I had to go and sit with a man and talk to him in a straitjacket in the back of a police car because he had requested that I come and talk with him. I did not know the man. He had heard me on, on the radio. First thing I want to say to him, are you stupid to do something like that? I mean, our whole city was just in disarray because of this one man's act. But the reality is this. He did not understand. He had been a businessman, and yet he lived differently than his business operated, and it bled over, and he ended up stealing from the company he worked for, and, and, and he was the operator, yet he was stealing from the people that put him in business and were so good to him. And he couldn't face the music. And I told him, one day, we all will face the music when we go to heaven. And we'll understand the importance of a clear conscience. And I said, were you just trying to take a quick way there to deal with it? And as we began to talk, it was, it was painfully obvious that he wasn't a Christian. He'd never made, he said, I go to church, I was a good person, until I got caught up into all this. And as I prayed with him, he confessed that he wasn't saved. Randall Moon, the police chief there at the time, told me, he said, the man we were talking to in the back of that car and that we took away is not the same man that came out of prison four years later. He was a changed man. Because he figured out that there has to be a consistency in your life wherever you go. You have to, you have to live your life in such a way that, that people watching you will see Jesus and not see you. And that's a problem with a lot of people today. We don't understand that... that that the life we live makes a statement about someone. And it must make the statement about Christ. But lastly, I want you to realize this. The judgment of the Lord will come upon Christians who live carelessly and who re refuse correction. We've got the Holy Spirit within us if we're a Christian. And that Holy Spirit goes, and, and, and we use the term grieving the Holy Spirit, but let me, let me move beyond that. Grieving the Holy Spirit does not mean the Holy Spirit weeps and is sad. It means we are leading the Holy Spirit into things that the Holy Spirit does not represent, and God doesn't represent, and His Son didn't represent. And we bring ourselves into a position of judgment when we do that. Scripture says for us to cultivate a tender conscience, a sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit, a firm and growing faith, a deep understanding of God's Word, and a daily walk with Him. If you get away from that and you get sidetracked, the Spirit of God will call you quietly back. But if you become indifferent to that Holy Spirit, if you become callous to the point that you don't hear those words, 
If you continue down that road, there comes a time of judgment. God wants us to be His walking, talking example. And in the world of spiritual warfare, we have to realize that there is always resistance to what we do. One of my favorite quotes that I've lived on since I was very young was by Dr. Bob Jones Sr. He said this, The door that leads to the room of success swings upon the hinges of opposition. If you're serving Christ, you're going to have opposition. The church that's not trying to do God's will, that's just trying to make people happy and have a good time and everyone go away and feel good, uh, Satan's not going to bother that church. But when you stand for what's true and right, when your Sunday school teachers teach a circumspect truth, when they challenge and call people to face that, when the pastor believes that the church should be an assimilator of truth, Satan is going to oppose that. When you're putting families back together and you're, and you're bringing people to a consciousness of what is right, Satan takes notice. And don't be upset when that happens because that's where we are. Not long ago, National Geographic ran an article about the Alaskan bull moose. I don't know how many of y'all have been to Alaska, but Alaska is an, a, a, an amazing world. It's, it, it's tragic in some ways and sad in other ways, but it's always beautiful. I've been on the Kenai Peninsula, and I've seen things there that, that it was just magnificent to witness and to watch it. That's a part of, the, of America that everyone should visit at some point. But they had a, 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 an article about the Alaskan bull moose and about the male of the species fighting for dominance. And, and they do this. They, they go through this battle in the fall breeding season. And they'll go head to head. And, and, and you've seen probably pictures on TV before when these gigantic monsters that, that are much taller than anything that we have on four legs in, in the south uh, go to battle. It's amazing. And the battle is always determined by two things. Number one, the strength and stealth of the moose or their, their size and then secondly their antlers the largest moose can go to fight but if he breaks one of his antlers he's lost his primary weapon he has nothing defensive to go after that other one to claim his territory and and start that process of, of breeding and reproducing if they don't eat during the summer if they end up spending their time distracted and they don't mature and grow and build up their, their, their muscle strength, they're lost. Researchers have studied these bull moose for many years, and they've noticed that some of them do get distracted. Some of them have a weakness in, 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 in their uh, ability to fight, their antlers break, and, and they end up just going away, they don't reproduce, and, and that's the end of their life. The best diet for growing antlers requires them to eat regularly and to also eat things that are healthy. And when I say healthy, I mean there's a certain items they need to eat and consume that will make them with the strength they need. What I'm saying this for is this. 
a lot of what they're going through is what we depend on. It's how we prepare in advance that makes all the difference. If you're going to do spiritual warfare, you don't prepare five minutes before the battle begins. You prepare long before that. You understand that it's not that you're a bad person. It's that Satan is evil and he sees your righteousness and he disdains it. You don't take it personal when you're attacked. Whoever he's using to attack you with. Because it may very well be someone that's simply not hearing the voice of the Lord. That's distracted. It's important for us to understand that, that the unity of the body of Christ matters. And without that unity, we come apart. We lose our enduring faith and strength and wisdom. We don't develop what we should have. And that's why spiritual warfare must be prepared for now. We've got to begin that walk. We've got to put on that armament. We've got to have the sword of the Spirit. We've got to have the breastplate of righteousness. We've got to be, have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. We must understand that God is not going to just swoop down and protect us. He's preparing us for that battle. Are you willing to be prepared? And are you willing to do what we must all do first, which is examine our hearts to see to it that we're not being used by the evil one. And once we have prayed up and confessed up, are we willing to turn our lives over to him and begin that process? That is so important. We're going into a world like we've never been in before, a terrifying world that's unlike anything we could ever imagine. Most of you here are like me. When you were young, you walked down a street where you could literally point to houses and say, I know where everybody in that house goes to church. You could describe their faith. You felt safe. The community was surrounded by people who were good, godly people. But we don't live in that world anymore. We live in a pluralistic society where if we were to have prayer in a public school there might be someone from any different religion from around the world echoing their sentiment about their faith. I read the other day about a Christian man that was on an airplane. He was flying in business class. And he looked over at a gentleman across from him who had some little three-by-five cards, and he would go through them, and he would bow his head, and he would pray, and then he'd look, and, and he'd do that again. And he thought, maybe this is a Christian I can talk to. We're on a long trip. And he scoots over next to the man and he said, well, I noticed that you look like you're, you're in some kind of faith ritual that you're praying. He said, yes, I am. And he said, do you mind sharing with me what you're praying about? And he shared the faith he was in, and I won't mention it, but he said, I'm praying that God would take all the Christians in the world and destroy them because they're evil. And that man said a coldness came over him when he looked at that man, and he said, I had never looked the enemy in the face like I had there. And he said, I realized how naive I was. Because he said, everywhere I went, I was around Christian friends. 
Every time I went out in the public, I was with Christian friends, and he said, I forgot there's a world out there that hates my Savior and hates me. And he said, I cannot tell you the struggle I had to love that man and move back to my seat and pray for him that God would lift him up and would change him. He said, in that prayer time on that long trip, I suddenly understood the importance of spiritual warfare. Prepare for it. It's here. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that you give us in your holy word truth that transforms us. And we are transformed with the understanding of what Paul told Timothy. Timothy was young. He had a fresh mind and he was full of hope. But Paul had to warn him that everything that glitters is not gold. And many times we have to remember that Satan is alive and well and he's working and his work is not in the world. He has the world. His work is in the church. And he wants to destroy and defeat. God, give us a people that, that are wise enough to see that and loving enough to make the right choices to change. God, I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice would not examine their neighbor or, their, or, or, or the person that would oppose them, but they'd examine their own heart, which is the only person we are given the authority to really judge ourselves. But they, they would judge their own heart and say, first of all, am I a person of faith? Have I accepted the gift of salvation? Do I know that my sins are forgiven and I have a home in heaven? And then secondly, am I putting on the whole armor of God? Because if I am faithful, there will be a battle ensuing. Father, speak to someone this morning. It possibly needs to come down and pray and just simply come closer to you and prepare for that battle. And Lord, if there's someone here that, that's desiring to come and join the church or, 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 or to be a part uh, in a more faithful way of following you, may this be the day that they make that decision. Lord, speak to someone today that's struggling with doing what is right and they want to make that step even now and publicly proclaim their faith and their trust in you. Father, give them the strength that they need even now to make that decision. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.